Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, we are going to continue our series. Uh, This is uh, week six of our series called Seven, where we're looking at the letters that are written in Revelation to the seven churches. We've been looking at all of those uh, letters and uh, we've done the five of them. And I just wanna encourage you, I've really, as Tony said, I've really enjoyed this series. I've loved what I have gotten out of it. And so I wanna encourage you, make sure you um, subscribe to our YouTube channel because all of these messages, Sunday nights as well, are on our YouTube channel. You can go back and watch them. It's Victory Church underscore ADL. So go to YouTube, subscribe there or download our app. Our church app has all our content on there. You can watch, you can listen, you can see the testimonies. It's just a great opportunity for you to have the Word on you at all times. So you can go there if you need to catch up on any of those. But this morning, we're up to church number six, letter number six, and it's the Church of Philadelphia. And I'm gonna invite you, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation chapter three. We're gonna read from verses seven to 13. And if you don't have your Bible on you, it will be on the screen in the back. Thanks, teams. Beautiful. Ian, I feel like I should sing. No, not really. <laughs> that would sing. Thanks. It's awesome. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 says this, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the names of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches." This letter was written to the church in Philadelphia. And what you need to understand that Philadelphia was a city that was in in a sense inconsequential. It was small, it was uh, not considered by others. It's kind of like uh, the poor cousin to those bigger cities. It'd be the kind of city that someone would say, well, why would you wanna go there? And um, you know what, it kind of reminds me a little bit like Adelaide, living in the shadow of the bigger cities. But I'm sure just like Adelaide, 
Philadelphia was a beautiful city. I'm not, am I among a people here who love their city, Adelaide? I mean, I love Adelaide. It may get rubbished. It may be told that, you know, why would you want to go there or whatever good can come from Adelaide. But I love Adelaide and I'm sure the Philadelphians loved uh, their city of Philadelphia. But Philadelphia... Um, was set out by and um, built by the king of Pergamon. His name was uh, Attalus II. And what he did, he had such a great love relationship with his brother that he wanted to set up a memorial just to show how good that their, um, his love for his brother was. So he built the city Philadelphia. And it's called Philadelphia because in Greek, the word Philadelphia simply means brotherly love. So this king has built this city and Philadelphia is actually situated um, on three with boundaries with three other countries. And the main purpose of the building of this city was that it would be a uh, Greek outpost. So what they wanted to do is they actually wanted to colonise those cities around them with Greek culture, with Greek language, with Greek customs, that they would have an allegiance to the city Greece. And in fact, historians tell us they were so successful as this missionary outpost that by AD uh, 19, the city of, um, and I knew I'd forget it if I didn't go back to it, the city of Lydian, so in the country of the Lydians, they actually forgot their own history and they all but spoke Greek. So they were pretty much Greek in who they were. They forgot their heritage. That's how effective this outpost missionary concept was. Now, uh, Philadelphia was also well known for its grape growing and its vineyards. It was very uh, well known for that. It was a great centre of idol worship. In fact, it's little, one of its nicknames was Little Athens. And it was also renowned for earthquakes. It suffered three major earthquakes. But this city, Philadelphia, and the citizens of this city in Philadelphia were so accustomed to uncertainty. They lived in a time where things were uncertain. One of the uncertainties was a financial uncertainty. Historians tell us that because um, the emperor made this decree that he said all of the vineyard owners had to pull up 50% of their vineyards. And the reasoning they gave was they think he wanted to do a sweet deal with the Italians, so he didn't, he wanted to sort of eliminate some of the competition. The other reasoning behind why he sort of instituted this law was that um, he had such a vast army, he actually needed the land to plant his own crops to feed his army. And so this city finds itself in, a fin in financial uh, uncertainty, it's in a downturn in the, in the times at which this letter was written. But it wasn't only in financial or suffering financial uncertainty, it suffered climatic uncertainty. Now, I mentioned that it was renowned uh, for its grapes because grapes uh, grow very well in volcanic soil. But where there's volcanic soil, there's volcanoes. And where there's volcanoes, there's earthquakes. And so this city suffered three major earthquakes that totally levelled it. In fact, the last one was actually in 1999 uh, because the city is uh, in modern day Turkey and it's called... Thyatira, no, Alashir, all right. So modern day Alashir is in modern day Turkey. And back in 1999 was the last uh, earthquake that it actually suffered. But back in AD 17, it suffered such an earthquake 
that the aftershocks and the tremors continued for 20 years. Talk about living in a climatic uncertainty. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read and discover that, there's kind of little bells going off saying, oh, kind of feels similar to our 2020. A lot of uncertainty. There's financial uncertainty here. We're not sure what's going to happen. We've been gracious that many of us have received JobKeeper, but we know that that eventually will come to an end. We know that businesses are starting to... uh, get back onto their feet. We know in other states, they're not quite there. We don't know. So we are living in a measure of uncertainty financially. We're living in a measure of uncertainty in the health system. We're living with uncertainty. And one thing 2020 has taught me is that when there's uncertainty, we, we might not be able to bring certainty, but what is definitely necessary is to bring clarity. And it's into this situation that Jesus is speaking to the church in Philadelphia, and I believe He's speaking to the church in Adelaide today. He's speaking to us at Victory Church. And um, what we're wanting to look at is what He would say to us today? What did he say back then? How can we apply it today? And all the letters that we've been looking at over this series, we've been looking in the context of faith and saying, okay, what type of faith? So we've talked about loving faith. We've talked about pure faith. We've talked about tested faith. And so this morning, I want to look at uh, the subject of powerful faith. Say it after me. Say powerful faith. Awesome. And I just thought it was so apt this morning with the way worship went and communion went. We're talking about a powerful faith. What we have to do is worth noting this morning that this church is kind of like the church in Smyrna. So the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia are the only two churches out of the seven that actually didn't get the rebuke, didn't get the, hey, yeah, this is good, this is good, however... I hold this against you. Both these churches, their letters are extremely encouraging. It's about, hey, it's full of promise. It's full of what will happen. It's full of, hey, I've seen what you've done there. I'm so proud of you. This is amazing. And I think what it says to me, that God is committed to you and I and our growth. And God will use anything or anyone to bring about growth in our circumstance and situation. If he has to use a rebuke, he'll use a rebuke. If he has to use a correction or an adjustment, he'll use it. If he uses encouragement to keep, it's all about our growth. It's not about whether God is happy with us or mad with us. God just wants us to grow and he's going to use whatever it takes. And so the good news for you and I this morning is that God wants us to have a more powerful faith today than we had yesterday. And tomorrow, we will continue to have a more powerful powerful faith tomorrow than what we had today. And what I love about this letter to the Philadelphians is there's some great advice in there for, that you and I can adopt so that we can experience a more powerful faith. Who wants to experience a more powerful faith? Am I in a room of people this morning? Are you online that you want a more powerful faith? Because the way 2020 is going, a lesser powerful faith is just not going to cut it. All right. So what's some of the advice that I've taken out of this letter from, the, from Jesus to the Philadelphians? And the first thing is this. If you want to have a more powerful faith, you've got to remember to let God be God and you be you. 
Let God be God and you be you. This letter to me is an encouragement and a reminder that He is the one who opens doors. He is the one who closes doors, which means I am not the one who opens doors. I am not the one who closes doors. You are not the one who opens doors and you are not the one who closes doors. And I think I would have a much more powerful faith if I simply remembered that. Newsflash, I'm not God. Newsflash, you're not God. We if we want to have a more powerful faith, we have to understand, let God be God and we do we. Let God be God and you do you. Let God be God and me do me. And one of the best examples I've ever had of this is I remember way back when our, we seem to be picking on Jordan this morning, but way back when our daughter Jordan was two and you had that transition from cot to bed. Now, every parent in the room knows where I'm going to go with this and every to-be parent and wannabe parent will one day experience this. But children go from being in the confines of a cot where you can put them to bed, you can shut the door and guess what? They stay there until you come back in the morning. Then comes the time when you need to, they're too big for the cot, someone else comes along, needs the cot, they just need to grow, they need to go into their bed and they discover they can get out of bed. And lo and behold, they also discover how to open doors. And this child that you've put to bed can suddenly be sit right back sitting next to you in the lounge as if this is what I'm here for. This, uh, this is okay. And I remember one particular night where we put Jordan to bed and obviously it was a new experience and she'd been coming in and out for a couple of nights. And this one night, Dad put Jordan to bed. Dad said to Jordan, Jordan, it's night time. We'll see you in the morning. Stay in bed. Jordan, you you got it. You understand me, Jordan? Yes. But he realised that, you know what, I don't actually believe Jordan's yes. So he, he puts Jordan to bed. He goes out and instead of coming back into the lounge with me, he simply stood there and held the door. And sure enough, I don't know how long it was, but I can hear the commotion from where I am in the lounge. I can hear, you know, the doors knobbling and and, some, and then the, suddenly this child realises, no, this isn't working for me anymore. They, she realises there's something that is blocking and hindering. What she used to be able to open, she could no longer open. And the reason she couldn't open it is because father is standing there holding the door because daddy has said what daddy shuts, nobody can open. Now, Jordan did what every other child did. She went, oh, that's right. You are daddy and I'm the child. So I'm going to put myself to bed. Oh, no, she didn't. She did what many of us do. and said, God, why? I think I have a better way. Why would this door not open to me? I thought he was the one. I thought that job promotion was mine. I thought that this miracle that you've said is mine. You should be like, God, why? Why are you keeping the door closed to me? All I want to do is walk through the door. And Daddy's on the other side saying, Honey, I know better than you. If you would just go back to bed, you'll wake up in the morning and life will be a whole lot better for you. So why don't you just be you and let dad be dad. And, and then there's the Holy Spirit 
in the background saying, sweetie, go back to bed. Daddy, shut the door. Daddy's not going to open the door. You would just do so much better in life if you would just heed what Daddy's saying to you. If you would just take yourself back to bed and put yourself back to sleep because Daddy shut the door. And there's a good reason that Daddy shut the door. But oh no, Jordan's like, just like us going, God, God, why? Why have you forsaken me? God, 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 why have you forsaken me? God, 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 why have you forsaken me? Until eventually it's God, 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 why? Gee, I'm exhausted. God, 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 why? God, God, And Jordan... Falls asleep, exhausted, powerless, at the end of herself behind the shut door. Just like you and I can find ourselves powerless, our faith lacking, not because God doesn't want us to have a powerful faith, but because we've forgotten to let God be God and me be me. And then just like Tony gently pushes the door open against the body that's holding it back, picks it up, puts it back to bed. The Holy Spirit comes along often and in His grace picks us up, puts us back in a safe place and says, come on, you want a powerful faith? Let God be God and you do you. And I remember way back, and maybe you're new here this morning, but um, when I was pregnant with our second child, Mitch, the doctor diagnosed um, some medical issues with him. They gave us all sorts. They definitely knew that he had some missing fingers on his left hand. There were all sorts of tests that suggested other things and they were strongly advising that we should terminate this child. And we thanked them for their care and concern. We said, we understand, we appreciate that, but this is what you need to know. Let God be God and me be me. I can't take the place of God. I can't say, well, I have the right and the choice to be able to terminate or end this life. Let God be God and me be me. I also can't do anything about bringing the miracle that's needed in this. It wasn't like I could adopt a special diet. It wasn't like I could do certain things or not do certain things. I just had to learn to say, let God be God and me be me. And people have said to me, you know what, that's been an encouragement testimony. What a powerful faith. Can I just tell you three things we did? If you're talking about how to have a powerful faith, three things we did in that time was we told three people of what we were walking through. Just one was a staff member who was on the pastoral team with us. We said, hey, this is what's happening. We want you to know to keep us accountable. We told Tony's dad because we understood he's a prayer warrior. He will continue to pray and petition God and ask for the promise that's available to us. But God, your provision. And thirdly, I got along with what I needed to do. I actually just enjoyed my pregnancy because I understood I can't do anything about it. My job was to be me. And to be me right now was to be an incubator in this situation, to not worry about it, to not concern myself with it, but to trust God. I was still a mum. I was still a wife. I was still a church leader. I was still a daughter. I still had responsibilities to get on with. If you want to know the key of having a powerful faith, let God be God and you do you. In fact, the Philadelphians understood that so well. Even though they were seemingly insignificant, small, not amounting to much in the bigger city eyes, historians relate the fact that the gospel made its way to India 
through the Philadelphian church. These tiny, small, insignificant, like because they weren't concentrating on trying to open this door or trying to open that door or trying to do this. They just went, God, you be God and we be us. Church, it's time for us to stop looking at what we don't have and start focusing on what we do have. Let God be God and you be you. The second thing that jumps out to me in this word is to study His Word, don't just read it. It says in verse 8, I know that you have little strength and yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. The Philadelphians faced constant oppression, constant attack. There was paganism, like I said in the introduction. They were known or their nickname was Little Athens. So there was all of this opposition and oppression against them. And yet the declaration and the encouragement from Jesus to them was, I know that your strength is weak, but you've not denied my name and you've kept my word. And we have to understand, church, excuse me, I am going to take a drink. We have to understand that the enemy's battle plan has never changed. He wants to distort God's Word, get us to question God's Word. It's not a new strategy. He's been doing it since the beginning. Go way back to Genesis in chapter 3 where he questioned Eve and said, did God really say? And here's the point. If you don't know what God has really said, He's going to catch you every time. So it's not about what you don't know. It's about what you do know. And we've got to be keepers and studiers of the Word. Don't just read the Word, but study it. Me, I love Ashari's been saying that with all the young people recently. No, not talking about what you're reading, but just what are you studying? What are you meditating on? What are you thinking about? And... Um, while COVID was on and we had all these experiences, I discovered online shopping, which I know I'm late to the party, but uh, online shopping where you don't even have to leave your home, especially when you can't, and you can buy stuff. And I remember I bought this um, apparatus that we needed to help us with some of our online content that we were doing and it arrived and I got it. It was a little bit delicate and see, Tony and I are different. He's one of those, he'll just slap it together and if it looks right, it's fine. Whereas I'm in, give me the instruction manual, I'm going to follow it. Well, I got this apparatus and I started to put it together, but I kid you not, I think they put the wrong instructions in there because it was like, it did, the diagrams didn't even look like the product I had. It was just like, and because it was delicate, I was so, you know, normally you just get frustrated, so you just bash it in there, but I'm like, it'll probably break. But the good news for us, church, is God hasn't left us without instructions. He's left us His instruction manual in His Word. But the problem is we don't study it. Some of us don't even read it. But I'm trying to say to us, if you want to have a powerful faith, don't just read the Word. You need to start to study it. And you've probably heard Tony share from this platform about how as a family we do a uh, daily devotion. And we do it together, all of us. And so you can go onto the U version. You can pick a um, devotional that you want to do. You can invite people to it. And then we all get to read the same uh, text. And then we all get to write what we feel God has spoken to us about. And we all get to see it. And it's been amazing for us. And I just want to share some of those thoughts with you. Because again, I'm not the oldest. I'm the second oldest in our family. There's someone who's slightly older than me. But I have been amazed at what I have learnt from my kids' study. 
in what from Bailey who's 14 to Jordan who's 22 and in between. Just what I have learned because of what God has spoken to them and how they've studied. And I just want to share some of those with you this morning. The other day we read John chapter 2 and Jordan said this. She said, this is what she got out of studying. Jesus loved all people, but He didn't entrust Himself to them because He knew them. We need an open heart to love, but we need wisdom to know who to let in and trust. Nathaniel, same chapter, he said, Jesus can only use what we come to the table with. We don't need to come with more than what we have, but we do need to come with what we have. Jesus will only use those that are willing. Mitch, who's 20 and in New Zealand, can still participate. And he studied, this is what he said. The best wine came out last. When Jesus is involved, keeps on getting better, keeps on getting better. Mitchie, 20. 20, the best one. We'll talk to him later. BJ is 14. And she said this, the people wanted to see Jesus do something miraculous, but it didn't come how they expected it to. So they didn't believe. God is the God of the unexpected. So be prepared for anything. We have to be studiers of the Word. How can you say, I in the place it is written, if you don't know? When people throw accusation at you, how can you say, no, I'm not going to do that? When they say, why? You need to be able to give an account for why. But you don't know what you don't know. And so church, we need to not just read the Word, study the Word. And what I love about that, and I can't accredit who this came from, but someone once said in my early days as a Christian that when you read the Word, it should read you. And what I love about when we spend time doing our study and studying the Word, when I write down what I got out of the Word, often that's what God uses to highlight things in me. And you go, ooh, okay, that's what I need to work on. Or more like... Congratulations. Oh, wow, God, I see the growth that's happening in me. So if you want to be powerful in your faith, you need to not just read the Word, but study it. The Philadelphians had little strength, but they held on to His Word. If you're feeling overwhelmed, you're struggling, you're disappointed, you're hurt, don't let go of God's Word. Our faith will never be more powerful than than when we read and apply God's Word. Thirdly, we need to choose relationship over religion. A powerful faith is grounded in relationship and not on a religious facade. So the the Philadelphian church were commended because he went on to say, not like those of the Jewish synagogue who claim to be Jews. And he doesn't say, and they're not. He says, and they are liars. And we have to understand if you want to have a powerful faith, you can't rely on religion You've got to rely on relationship. I church, coming to church, doing religious activities is no substitute for knowing God. The way you have a powerful faith is to know and understand Jesus. Coming to church doesn't make you a follower of Christ. No more than being in a garage makes you a car. There's no such thing as infused relationship. If I just be in the presence, it'll just infuse me. It comes through a personal relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that religion is a form of godliness, yet having no Power. If you're feeling powerless, perhaps you've got to the point 
where you have a form of godliness. You come to church, you do all the right things, but there's no relationship. Jesus says, I'm not after religious activity. He says, I want proximity of relationship. I want intentionality between you and I. I want relationship and then church. It's out of that intimate place. It's out of that place of knowing Him we come to church. This isn't that, well, I won't come to church because I'll just be religious. No, you come to church because you understand who Jesus is. I don't not go home. Well, I'm not going to go home because um, just because I'm married. I go home because I want to be home because that's where family is. That's where my relationship is. So I come to church not just to do things. Coming to church comes out of the overflow of knowing who God is. It comes out of the overflow of understanding what He's done for me. I don't come to church because I might find a mate. I don't come to church because all there's good business opportunities. I don't come to church to tick a box to look good. I don't come to church because, you know what, I'm scared that if I die, I want to make sure there is a seat reserved for me in heaven. No, I come to church because I know Jesus. I come to church because I have a relationship with Him. And out of a relationship with Him, I desire to have a relationship with God's people. That's when we know if you have powerful faith. Don't tell me you've got powerful faith. Your powerful faith will be seen in how you demonstrate it amongst God's people. If you want to be powerful in faith, then stop. You have to choose relationship over religion. And I'm going to invite the band to come up. My fourth point is this. We need to stay the course and finish strong. The Philadelphians were commended for enduring patiently. They never gave up. After wave and wave and wave of opposition, disappointment, hurt and pain, they stood the test of time to hear Jesus say to them, well done for your faithful endurance. And I mentioned in the opening text about the fact that that uh, earthquake of AD 17 levelled the city and for 20 years, the aftershocks kept coming. And socialists tell us that often in times of crisis, the initial impact, the initial event that happens, many of us get through it. We have something within us, we dig deep, we bury deep, we find something to sustain it. But it's usually the little things afterwards that take us out. And here's the Philadelphians. They stood 20. Can you imagine? You've been, if you've survived the earthquake that has levelled your city, every other tremor has to bring back something that says, oh, is this it again? Is this it? They're living in that constant state. And yet God says they endured patiently. They continued on. And I always think of that saying that it's death by a thousand cuts. It's not usually that initial punch in the guts that hits us. It's not even the 2020 pandemic that started. It's on top of the 2020 pandemic, this happened. It's not the loss of the job, but it's after the loss of the job, it's the loss of the confidence, it's the loss of this. It's, it's the once constant, continual wave after wave of disappointment, rejection, hurt, offence. But the Philippians, if you want a powerful faith, They didn't just stand, stay the course. They stood strong. They didn't let those ongoing shocks take them out. Eugene Peterson says this, patience is long obedience in the same direction. So church, 
Let's stay the course and let's finish strong. And I'm aware that there may be some here who go, well, that's okay for you. You don't understand the situation and the circumstance in which I find myself. That it's actually impossible for me to even consider to stand strong. Well, I wanna remind you, church, we serve a God of the impossible. He's, in fact, Scripture says that what's impossible for man is actually possible for God. The good news is God will meet you in your impossible. And I'm going to invite you to stand this morning because I think we need to worship this amazing God. I want to remind you to don't think about escaping the trial, but start thinking about how you can endure it because He is with you. He is drawing close to you. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Come on church, let's not only stay the course, let's stay strong and be exhibitors of powerful faith. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 